I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is as creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right, Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who Doug really is not comfortable yeah. with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business, for my money. Buck Swope? Buck Swope asked Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah! <laughs> I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is struck. I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's gonna have it. Why? Oh no, I just know he does. The wonderful Buck Swope. You know Buck Swope? Well, yeah. Seem to have kind of an issue with Buck Swope. Right, it always goes back to Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Mr. Buck T. Swope. What's up, kids? You're listening to Swope's Picks, episode 14. They're not losers. A little later, we'll be joined by Tim McKernan. But right now, let's flash back to April 2010. Oh, get on with it, muff. Get on with it, muff. Oh, get on with it, muff. The Cleveland Browns have talked to the Rams about acquiring the Rams' number one pick overall. If you're the Rams, do you make a deal with the Browns and trade that number one pick? I don't at this point. I'd take Bradford and just roll the dice. Uh, I think, of course, it depends on what you, what you could get from the Browns. If you could get their number one pick, if you could get their second round pick, if you could get all of those third round picks, I think you have to do it. I agree with Doug. I would do that as well. First off, I'm not 100% sold on Sam Bradford. But secondly, there are so many holes on this team that uh, the more picks, especially in the first three rounds, I think that's the move. I would be all for it. Even though I realize the franchise desperately needs a face, if you go wrong on Bradford, and there are plenty of big names coming out of college that people thought were surefire stars and, and didn't play out that way, then you are even further back. And it is, it is possible to go even further back. Whereas I feel like you have more of a lock for success with Ndama Kung Su and getting more picks. But if you get that number one pick and it's a disaster and you've allocated that much guaranteed money to him, what it does to your franchise, which is why I, I worry about Bradford. I just don't think it's going to matter that he's back there for the first year or two. They're not losers. They're not losers. He's always candid and always very knowledgeable. Tioka Jackson. Good morning, Tioka. Good morning, guys. The draft fast approaching. Most assume that the Rams will be selecting Sam Bradford with the number one pick. I personally and some other fans would like to see them trade down and get as much as they possibly can just because there are so many holes. You played for the Rams. You played the game. What would you do if you're the Rams? Yeah, that was going to be my, my uh, thing, straight down, man, and, and, and really go get some players here uh, in what seems to be a pretty deep draft and save yourself some money. Now, again, no knock against Bradford. He looks to be a really talented player. When I look at him, I don't see, wow, you got to get that guy. That's the guy that will take your franchise for the next decade. I don't quite see it, but I see a talented football player. But I'm thinking, you're going to have to invest somewhere around $50 million guaranteed. And it's so, this, this draft business is so uh, fickle and it's so easy to make a mistake. Why not trade down, parlay that thing into a bunch of players that are good players? That are going to cost you less money. They're not losers. They're not losers. Joining us, the Rams general manager, Billy Devaney. Good morning, Billy. Guys, good morning. So uh, what is life like uh, right now for uh, the general manager of the franchise picking first in the draft? Is it chaos or is it calmness? Where are you? Oh, shoot. It's um, it's total calmness right now, and, and it will be tomorrow. It, the last two weeks have, have been pretty chaotic. Um, but between the meetings and the draft readings and the stacking by position and watching tape and you disagree, you go back and watch more tape, that's, that's the tedious part. But we, we probably wrapped it up early yesterday morning. I think for a lot of Rams fans, there's been distraction naturally with the ownership situation. Nonetheless, Billy, this is a critical stretch of days for this organization. And it's, it's in your hands, in the hands of Steve Spagnuolo and your staff. 
Is there an appreciation uh, for the importance of what takes place the next few days for the not just short term but also long term, long term being the next five six years of this franchise? Um, is there an appreciation? A- absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh, I, are you? Talk- I think you're talking about this pick specifically, correct? Well, there's, there's not just this pick, but but the, the, the remaining rounds as well. I mean, as, as you right. said on the show, there are a variety of holes to be filled, and this is right. this is critical for where the franchise is is fallen to, and and what this next few days can can mean. Oh man, you're you're right on the money, absolutely not. Um, but you know what? People keep saying, do you feel a lot of pressure? That that honestly, I keep saying we we must be screwed up because we don't really feel pressure. I feel really excited about this because I know we're going to get a guy, you know, the guys that we narrowed it down to. We, um, we feel we feel really good that they're going to be great players and part of the franchise, part of the face of the franchise for a long time to come. And um, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that we've, we've started this process. The arrow is going in the right direction, is going up. And um, when we come out of these three days of drafting, honestly, I feel and gosh, maybe I'm just nuts, but I feel I feel great. I, I couldn't. I, I feel like we're moving in the right direction, and this thing is really going to turn around quickly. They're not losers. They're not losers. NFL round number one of the 2010 draft is complete. The Rams, no real surprise. Sam Bradford, the number one overall pick, and then followed by Indomitian Sue, Gerald McCoy, Trent Williams, and then Eric Berry is your top five. Plenty to get into from the draft. The Michael Smith report that the Browns were considering trading and giving up a whole slew of picks to move up to that number one spot. Do you wish now that the Rams had taken Sue with the first yes. pick and come back and taken McCoy or Clawson in the second round? Yes. I was thinking about that. Yeah, looking at the way that two quarterbacks are still available at the second round. All along I said trade down. That was, in my opinion, the safest thing for them to do is to trade down because you have a team that is filled with needs and that you would be able to get a quarterback in the second round, especially with that first pick in the second round. But now the way it looks, it's even magnified a little bit more. They're not losers. They're not losers. Rodney, you're on Team 1380. In the middle of the night. Simple. <laughs> what happened there? That sounded like Timberfake. Yes. Taking up here. Let's try this one. Timberfake, you're on Team 1380. In the middle. What's up, my <laughs> So he was on two different phone lines. You cut him off twice. Yes. Why? Because I'm not in the mood. Why is that? He's about to sing for us. It was special. We heard enough. Why so cranky today? I don't know. Just not in the mood for it. Well, good for you. You're a man of values. I, I have my principles. Standards. I stand for something. If you don't stand for something, Charlie, you'll fall for anything. I've heard that before. It's a country song. Uh, yeah. I think it was like a famous quote first. Was it? I don't know. I'll look it up. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything, Doug? Look who's back. I'd give him maybe 30 seconds, see if he's making some sense today. <sighs> well, let's just see what he's got to say. Are you sure? Sure. Hello? Hey, what's up, hello? What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Just chilling, you know? For I'm sure. I'm glad. You got that Bradford, baby. You like it? Yeah, I like it. You know, I like sex. I like Bradford. You know how I do it. You, you like, like sex and Bradford. Well, you know, I'm the sex show. But I, you know what's funny? I was listening to a song. It's called My Life is Like a Whirlwind. I'm just caught in the middle and watch my... All right. Oh, you there cut you him off a yeah, third maybe, time. Maybe it's the singing. Right. From, different, uh, from different websites, I'm reading that if you... Don't stand for something you'll fall for anything uh, was Alexander Hamilton. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to September 2011. Now, I was at the game yesterday, and uh, they have this new thing at the Dome where they uh, they tell the fans how to behave. Uh-huh. Uh, they're called the Rams Rules, and I understand the non-gay has the audio from the uh, Rams website. So, Doug, now you're going to learn how when the Ravens come to town. Next uh, week from yep. uh, Sunday, you will know how to behave. Take a, take a listen if you wish. First day of school. 
Fans, we want to have the loudest stadium in the NFL. To help us all come together as the 12th Ram, we've created Ram Rules. Follow these five rules to give our team dome field advantage. Together <laughs> as one, we can do it. We can do it! Ram Rule 1. Third down and goal. When the Rams offense is at work at the line, Oh, good. Ram Rule 2. Got a first down. Every first down for the Rams, our announcer says, St. Louis, you scream. First down. Oh, Ram rule God. three. This is On what you have to tell people in another country. Rams by making some noise. Yeah! Yeah! I can't hear you. Uh, Ram rule tweets, four. Every time we get to the quarterback, I want to hear you yell, sack. Ram rule five. Josh Brown to kick it off. Leading up to every kickoff, let's slow clap it out. No, that is. Slow clap it out. That's all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Doug? (sighs) You would think that was like a parody. You would think that was like a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh huh. Yell, sack, sack. Stop it. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to November 2011. The Rams lost again, Doug. That is 2-9 uh, and nine on the season, which isn't good. And uh, guaranteed a losing season for everybody who had uh, the under on the 7.5 wins that Vegas had them slated at early in the season. You were able to cash your ticket, or you'll be able to cash your ticket once the season is complete. They appeared to pick up some parts. Mike Sims-Walker turned out to be a dud. Cadillac Williams, not a factor. Jarius Norwood, not a factor. We thought these guys were going to be okay. I didn't. I'll tell you why. I mean, honestly, Cadillac Williams, you thought he was going to come in and be the, the valuable second back? I didn't. Yes. I thought he'd be a guy well, most that, would everybody get, else did. that would get 3.2 yards a carry and not be a factor. I didn't think they did enough to shore up their receiving core. Do you think this, this loss sealed the fate of the uh, coaching staff, or had it been sealed? Oh, I think it's been sealed, but I think yesterday it becomes even more glaring. But God, it's just a crappy, crappy team to watch. It really is. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, it's been that way. <laughs> it's not surprising. Eight straight losing seasons. Three of them, back to back to back, the worst in the history of the NFL. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to March 2012. The Rams trading that number two overall pick to the Redskins, and they get a whole hell of a lot. The Redskins, number one this year, which is the sixth overall pick, a number two this year, and they get their number one in 2013 and 2014. Peter King details two parts of the deal. Kevin Demoff read the 2011 book about Belichick and his two personal aides uh, who struck out on their own in Kansas City and Atlanta, respectively. He gave the book to owner Stan Kroenke, who found many lessons in it for the construction of the Rams. The biggest one, stockpile draft choices so you can control drafts. And the 2012 Rams were in perfect position when they earned the second pick in the April draft. First step in that process, though, is be really horrible so that you can stockpile. Yep. And so you got to tip your cap there. Right. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to April 2012. Uh, hey, you know what else is tonight? It's the NFL draft, Doug. Yeah. And the Rammies are sitting there with the sixth pick. What do you think is going to happen, yo? If they take a defensive tackle, I will be so hacked. Well, how many times have we seen this? Damian Lewis, here is the guy who's finally going to make a difference. No, Jimmy Kennedy, now here is the guy. How many defensive tackles are really difference makers? There's two or three in the league that stand out, and then there's everybody else. 
Get somebody who makes a difference. They're not losers. They're not losers. Doug is clearing his throat, and he is ready to just get after it, brother, because he is fired up about the Rammies and Michael Brockers. Hey, Doug. Doug, yes, we're on the air. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. It, it just occurred to me that if you trade down enough, you could eventually get all the picks in the seventh round. That's where I thought they were going with this. This is where Tim goes, but in the seventh round, it's not as good as... They get bodies. I, if you had told me at the end of last year when they went 2-14 and 14 and got the second pick in the draft that they would come out of the draft with the number three defensive tackle, I would have just, I don't know what I would have yeah, done. But what, have you, what have you done your research and you found out that he had two career sacks? He had two sacks. <laughs> he played one year. He was not an all-conference selection. What have you did your research tackle. and found out that of all the defensive tackles, he had the lowest bench press? Yeah, I got that going for him, too. To only, my opinion, get a second-round pick to drop down and not address a weakness. I don't know if Michael Brockers is going to be good or not. I still don't know if Robert Quinn's going to be good or not, and I still don't know if Sam Bradford's going to be good or not. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to August 2012. Doug Ramit, yeah. Don't tell me what the Ram. It, yeah. Thank you, Sack. Sack just brought me breakfast. Sack! The Ram COO is on hold. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, guys. I'm pleased at least Ramit is playing instead of Lady in Red this time. <laughs> <laughs> that Ramit song, I believe that goes by. I think Eric Dickerson was performing in that, if I'm not mistaken. He was. What is the mood around the building after that loss? I know it, you can write it off as just a preseason game, but there there had to be some sense that, uh, oh, maybe we got a little bit more work to do than we thought. Going into the game, and I think Coach Fisher said yesterday was, we're not going to scheme for this game. We're not going to game plan. We're just going to see how our players do and how they adjust to the game. You know, obviously... There, there were some areas we need to clean up. You're never happy with the way we perform. But good news is it wasn't week four of the preseason. It wasn't week one of the regular season. Week one of the preseason. You know, if we don't improve over the next three weeks, then there's concern. But right now, I think it's just a, a preseason game that we didn't play well. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to December 2012. Mike, you're on 590 The Fan. Hey, how's it going? Well, we're talking it over here today. The Rams lost. I don't care about them. Hey, Perfect. come on. That stinks. Why? Why so down? Too much. Did you watch the game yesterday? No. Uh, no. You're ready for Sports Talk Radio, then. They're not losers. They're not losers. The symptom is a team that's losing games that fans think they should win. And with uh, Bradford, the Rams are so committed now to him that that's the mitigating factor, in, in my opinion, to what goes on now. That I don't feel like you can have just a discussion regarding Bradford without it leading to, oh, he's terrible, you got to get rid of him, because you can't anyway. And I don't think that he's terrible, but if you do, you're welcome to it. And then on the other side of it, people using the statistics yesterday as an example of how great he played, and it wasn't his fault. I'm going, oh my God. The only thing about Bradford... I don't know if he's going to be a good quarterback. I like to hope that he will. But I haven't seen him in games that are out there to win just play out of his mind and just single-handedly win games. We, we've seen that from other guys that are high profile. I'd like to see him do that. It's almost like it's expectations are managed for Sam. Yeah. Well, it would be real interesting if the Rams had an option behind him, if they had a Colin Kaepernick behind him, as the 49ers did behind Alex Smith, to see what they would do. If they would just run Sam out there all the time, no matter how he played, if they had somebody pushing him 
on the bench. They don't. So he is going to be the guy no matter how he plays. They're not losers. They're not losers. Going back and, you know, the, the final minute and a half and change yesterday in, in the fourth quarter when the Rams needed a touchdown to tie things up, it ends up being, a you know, an interception there on fourth down that, that ends things for the Rams yesterday. But just the, the way that they, they attempted to get down the field, I think, left a lot to be desired. And you had two timeouts in that situation. And there was just there was a lot of either they were checkdowns or if that was his first target, that you're throwing the ball across the middle of the field, and if you're picking up 15 and 20 yards, that's one thing. But when you're throwing three and four yard passes, it, it just it looks the easiest way to say it is ugly. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to September 2013. It was ugly last night, man. I, that was the last two weeks. I tweeted out that that was probably the two worst weeks of offense I've ever seen the Rams play. Certainly in St. Louis, I can't recall two straight weeks uh, ever being that bad that was that was really really bad guys the thing that gets me though is i was one of the people that were excited about the offseason moves they upgraded the offensive line they brought in weapons bradford was going to be a year better and was now going to have some tools to work with and it's been disastrous and i'm kind of sad about that yeah so am i this is the first time i'm looking at at some coaching and i'm going wait a minute now something's something's not right here they come out and, you know, the 49ers come out and basically goal line offense, if you remember, it was fourth and one, right? They come out and goal line offense, three tight ends, two of them are offensive linemen, and one receiver, which is Bolden, and we're in base defense, and I don't understand why. They're in goal line and we're in base. That makes no sense to me. That's a little scary from a veteran coaching staff. Yeah, when you've got a Rams team that, that can't stop the run, nor can they stop the pass, they can't run themselves, and they can't pass deep. They take too many penalties, and they get a lot of guys hurt. It's hard to find reason for optimism the rest of the way. You know, when, when the trade was made for, Trey, for, for Tavon Austin, my immediate tweet was, okay, so the Rams moved up to pick a number two receiver and a punt returner. And <laughs> that's what he is, guys. He's a slot receiver and a punt returner. We don't have a number one receiver on our roster. And I don't care how much speed he has or whatever. You need to have a number one X receiver that can line up as a split in and have the defense respect him and set their coverage on him. And then you got Tavon Austin who becomes unbelievable. He becomes Oz Hakeem squared. But without that sort of thing, he now becomes a guy who you're trying to figure out how we're going to get him open because the coverage is now set to him. And so that's the guy we traded up to get. So they're trying to figure that out. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to September 2014. Rams general manager Les Snead. Les, good morning. How's it going? And after all the all the preparation, all the work you guys did in the off season and the preseason, you get right to the starting line with a different quarterback. What's your what's your uh, confidence level in Sean Hill? Well, you, uh, I, I, I say I've said this many times. We've tried to put together, you know, a team, and and we got philosophy: teams win, individuals don't. You need talented individuals to make up a team. To to paint that picture for you. Uh, you, if you took, you know, Andrew Luck, Drew Brees, and Kellen Clemens, who are you taking in your fantasy football league? I think you guys would probably pick between, you know, debate Andrew and Drew and, and try to figure out who's the best. But at the end of the day, when you when you go New Orleans, Indianapolis, St. Louis, who won the game? So that's the picture you paint for. Yes, good quarterbacks help, but you always try to put together a really good team and go from there. So. Uh, that's why we're optimistic here. Les, has the transition for Greg Robinson from the college game and, and obviously that offense at Auburn where it was uh, a little different and running the ball to the pro game and moving from, from tackle to guard? I know he worked at both positions in the preseason. Has it been a little slower, though, than you guys maybe thought it would be? 
Well, I don't. I think it, I was. I laugh. Uh, you guys asked the question. I don't know if it's been slower. I think that was well documented coming into the draft, and then you, and then you take the fact that a redshirt sophomore. I mean, there's heck, three summers ago he was in high school. So what you always want to do with a, a, a player like that is, hey, bring him along, develop him. You knew it was going to take a little bit, and. And, and let that process play out. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to October 2014. Well, at the start of the game, I thought, you know what? I think this Rams team is beginning to beginning to get it going. You made a big mistake. Yeah, I certainly did. The crowd was loud. They were very much into it. I mean, the place really was alive there for a while. It was going well until they gave up the 80-yard bomb yeah. with 25 seconds left in the half, which is totally excusable. You could understand why you would want to... Maybe go for the interception there. You certainly, I mean, they have still had to go 80 yards in 25 seconds, so you want to give them a chance to do that, maybe by playing single coverage on a wide receiver with no safety help, and go ahead and let them throw deep over you. Nice. I mean, how in the world does that happen with that much time left on the clock? How in the world can that happen? Is there anything about the way the Rams play that make you think that, boy, this this team is really well coached? No. You don't get that sense, do you? No. In the uh, final uh, couple of minutes, maybe final five minutes, if you recall, and this is assuming people were watching it That's at this point, and I realize... Big assumption! They went for it on fourth and goal. Uh, Jim Harbaugh wanted to impress the pollsters, and so Hyde comes up short, and I, I believe it was Langford who hit him in the face while he was on the ground. Sure. Then somebody else... Somebody threw the football. Threw the football at his head <laughs> while he was on the ground and defenseless, uh-huh. and then Ethan Westbrooks separately starts shoving somebody and hitting them and then gets a 15-yard penalty. But since they were at the half-yard line, it could only be one half of a yard back. And Jeff Fisher does a laze. And, you know, oh my God, it's, it's like something my father would say. It's something you'd see over at Francis Park. It's just unbelievable. It's really bad. I mean, it just, it's it's to the point where I think even the crazies, I mean, the, the diehards are starting to go, what the hell am I doing? Why am I investing my time, energy, and money in this team? The defense... Doug, hashtag Sack City, mm-hmm. has now 14 sacks. They have one. They have an NFL record low after five games. Give or take 13. That's all. It's a record. One. They only have one. I mean, some of those stats last night, and I kind of knew it, but when you take it in that the only franchise in the NFL that has a worse record than the Rams in the last 10 years is the Raiders. That, yeah. that smarts. Yeah. Smarts a lot. <laughs> I remember before this season started, almost... Every narrative that you heard, every expert, every radio guy, all of us, everyone was saying, boy, wait till you see what old Greg Williams has got in store for this defense. You talk about some exotic blitz packages now, mister. Oh, 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 boy, they'll unleash those guys. Nothing. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to November 2015. We've experienced a lot of really bad Rams games and Rams losses and I've been here eight years but if we talk about the uh, the Jeff Fisher era of four years there's been some some tough losses and I think uh, yesterday may have been the worst well that one was a hard one um, probably one of the hardest I've been around since since I've been here um, you know it's it's difficult um, when you lose that way in a game that you you know we somewhat controlled or dictated as far as case concerned you know, uh, a lot of a lot of people moving around up front. Uh, they got good pressure on them. Uh, we, you know, we ran the, the, the ball um, as many times as we could, uh, but we're still facing the same issues: converting third downs and 
first downs and scoring points. So 13 on the road, just not going to win it for you. And uh, afterwards, a lot of people talking also about Case Keenum, who was diagnosed with a concussion, so he didn't speak to the media afterwards. That's NFL policy to not uh, talk when you're diagnosed with a concussion. I will say this, and it's not hindsight. When you saw Keenum's head bounce off the ground like that, mm. I thought, and the, the, the television couldn't get coverage right back immediately up. cut to Nick Foles grabbing his helmet, right. and I thought, okay, there's going to be a, a halt in play. They're going to check him out. And to my amazement, no one even gave him a second look. Not from the Rams' sideline, not the independent guy. I mean, that was as hard as a guy's head is going to hit yeah. the dirt. Yeah, he really got hit hard. Hit- his head really went back and hit the turf really hard. They're not losers. They're not losers. Finally, it seems to me that Jeff Fisher is not only getting local but national attention as to what the hell's going on here. And uh, they lose 31-7. to Jeff Fisher asked about the team's effort following yesterday's loss in Cincinnati. Hit the lever, Plowsy. Anyone implies that it's an effort issue, then they can kiss my <laughs> Okay? Because there's no effort problems on this with this team. Okay? That's what happens when teams, when you lose four in a row, people say it's effort. Come to practice, watch this team play, and ask any other opponent or opposing coach. It's not an effort issue right now. It's execution. It's it's 70% offense and, you know, 30% defense. I'll leave teams out of it because our teams always play hard. Like and by teams, he means special teams. Well, don't forget about the special teams. Special teams. Don't forget about the special teams. You know, now, I think mainly because the Keenum thing transcended following specific teams, that got attention. People go, God, you know, this is pretty bad here. 31-7. It's two of the last three games. They've lost by 24 points. They don't score points. And now they're taking steps backwards, and, and they were 4-3, and three, and they've lost four in a row, or four and seven. And Well, it's clear that other teams have figured out what you have to do to render the Rams' offense completely useless, and that's take away Todd Gurley. Here's but the deal. Usually it takes around six years for an organization to A, switch uniforms, and B, find a quarterback. So they'll be entering their fifth year, Jeff Fisher and Les Snead, coming up. And I like the direction it's going offensively. You because think they're you trending can, up. You can point to the offensive line, and maybe there's three or four question marks there, but there are five players. The problems on the offensive line started really when they signed Saffold to a huge contract. This is a guy Oakland took one look at his medicals and said, nope, sorry. And so the Rams give him a huge contract, and what do you know, a third of the way through the season, he's done. Makes, so, me, makes me long for Alex Barron. Well, no, he was no better. He was worse. Like Jason Smith. Maybe even worse than Barron. But Greg Robinson. Right there with Barron. It's not bad. But these guys are guys they took flyers on in the fifth, sixth round. No, no. Top of the draft guys. I don't understand. First rounders, second overall picks. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to December 2015. You might want to try and implement what worked in Tennessee in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s, but it isn't the way the teams are succeeding these days. And the Rams line of quarterbacks doesn't get as much attention as what's going on in Cleveland, but it is hideous a list of quarterbacks ever since warner uh left and bulger had his pro bowl season that just makes it just you just go what in the world is this and the misjudgment by the organization you can talk about fisher and it deserves criticism how can it not but the misjudgment by the organization which would include everybody in the front office on sticking with sam bradford on the botching when you have all these draft picks that you got in the, the trade with the Redskins and what that has led to or lack thereof. And then also, if you recall, two off seasons ago, so many people focused on wide receivers. And what was the comment? 
we're really happy with the wide receivers we have in house. And everybody in the moment, not after the fact, and not looking at this, going, "You got to be kidding! You really are." Now, potentially that was a public statement, but based on their actions, they didn't do anything to repair it. Kenny Britt was the solution in the greatest receiver draft probably of all time. The Rams couldn't get one of them. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to April 2016. All right, so I guess we're done talking about no. the Rams trading up to number one. I don't care. Do you care? I, I can't just get rid of it. I can't put it away yet. You can't quit them. Uh, no. I'll be watching, I'm sure, for a little while. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to September 2016. I'm surprised by how much I enjoy watching them get hate-effed. But I was enjoying mm-hmm. the hate F session last night. God, they effing suck. And I couldn't be happier that they effing suck. And the culmination of my joy and schadenfreude was Aaron Donald slamming his head as he got injected as they continued to perform like the asshats they've been for years around here with no discipline, no offense, no coaching, and then contract extensions for the same butt-asses who put the crappy product on the field for years around here. And we were blamed as bad fans for the product and the reason why they moved. And instead, the whole country got to see the farce of an operation that that thing is last night. God, it made me happy. It just could not possibly have gone any better. You got the the national announcers talking about how horrible the Rams are and how pathetic it is. First week of the season, I wanted 50 to nothing. I was really hoping for 50, but I'll take 28 zip. Case Keenum, probably not going to get the job done, but at least they drafted a guy, number one overall, who will fix that. He looked good. That guy oh, looked... boy, can't get a uniform. The number one pick looked good. You think that's ever happened in the history of the league before where the first overall pick can't even dress out? You know, also, to get beat like that, the 49ers are a horrible team, too. The 49ers got nothing. I mean, Blaine Gabbert was just kind of struggling to keep it together there, and still they just stomped on him. Just absolutely stomped on him. Jeff Fisher, however, Doug, said that he was worried about Blaine Gabbert coming into uh, week one. Was uh, take a listen, if you would. All right, hit the lever, Plowsy. Coming into the game, Blaine was a concern of mine, just his legs, you know, and, and obviously shows what he can do. I mean, he can pull it down and run and, and break your back. And, you know, we lost, not excuses, but we lost the coach's quarterback device a couple of times, didn't get the right calls in, didn't get the games called, you know, things like that. It was just a combination of things, so. Yeah. I think a lot of teams around the league yeah. are worried when they're going up against Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, you just all you can do is batten down the hatches and hope there's something left when the storm has passed through. Nice. He just speaks with the confidence of a coach who knows no matter how bad it gets, he ain't going anywhere. <laughs> yep. You can just, just seven million a year just keep pouring in. The headline in the Los Angeles Times this morning. Uh, Rams look a lot like the St. Louis slash Anaheim version. (laughs) They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to November 2016. Eric Dickerson, uh, Hall of Famer, said he is done going to Rams games as long as Jeff Fisher is the head coach. I've been in L.A. for 30 years. You think I've been waiting on the Rams to come back? I said, I don't need the Rams. This is L.A. You think you're the 7,000-pound gorilla? It don't work like that in this city. You've got to come here and win. There's too many things going on. So, you know, you can't come here thinking you're going to go 6-10, and 5-11 and 11 and think the city's going to just jump behind you. Because of the fact that you have so many options in Los Angeles, Southern California, just in general, that it's got to be an entertaining-slash-winning product in order for people to want to come to the games. And so when you take this three-headed monster of butt-assery... Oh. In Stanley Steamer, Kevin Demoff, and Les Snead, and we haven't even gotten to the coaching staff or the players, 
it's going to be difficult to justify a trip in an hour, hour and a half of traffic just to go 20 miles uh, and then pay $100 to watch that crap. And that's just a park. And so, yeah, that's you haven't even gotten into the building to watch the mm. fun and games. It's Los Angeles, and you have a lot of competition for people's A, dollars, but B, how they want to spend their time. And you not only can't come out there and field that kind of product, but you can't come out there and handle business the way they're handling it. But the thing is, see, this has been like this wake-up call over the last five days for the country. Whoa, the Rams sure seem like they might be incompetent. Yes, yes, we can. We could have told you about that for the last decade, but you were too busy writing how it's a baseball town and how nobody in St. Louis supports the NFL. So now that it's in Los Angeles, now you're going, oh, this is what we've been dealing with. And then the whole country got a chance to watch the magic that is Sam Bradford throwing six-yard passes because he can't throw the ball past 10 yards until he absolutely has to at the end of the game against the Lions, and then he's picked off. Well, that's what we had around here for five years, all while an owner wasn't speaking to the community about any interest whatsoever in staying in the community because he had no interest in staying in the community. But yet St. Louis and the football fans of St. Louis got blamed for that crap. Well, now is it the Los Angeles football fans or is it the Rams themselves? Was it St. Louis not wanting to watch that crap with Bradford or was it Bradford himself? Because he's doing the same stupid check down crap that he was doing from 2010 through 2014 here that he's doing in Minnesota. So I'm glad that the country is getting a chance to see this. It's not going to bring the Rams back, but as a St. Louisan, it tilts me that the city got blamed for this crap. The byproduct of labeling St. Louis on the way out as being a crappy city with bad football fans is the part that tilts me. And the dishonor, whatever Kevin, I still don't know what Kevin Demoff was doing. I get why Kroenke never talked. I still don't know what Kevin Demoff's doing. But along the lines of Dickerson, he wasn't appeased by Kevin Demoff going to Twitter because that's how all great businessmen handle things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go on Twitter rants. He goes to Twitter, and uh, after he hears Dickerson comments and says, all Rams alumni, and especially at Eric Dickerson, are always welcome at our games and practices. I've reached out to Eric to see where a miscommunication may have occurred and to clear up any confusion over his uh, presence at games. Most importantly, I want to make sure he knows that he is a valued member of the Rams family. We all share his love for our team and our fans, except Dickerson isn't interested in playing that game because Dickerson doesn't have to play that game. Kevin has to issue the corporate hand job statement. Dickerson can blow it off. And so Dickerson then goes on Fox Sports Radio and elaborates on his comments that he had made earlier in the day on 570 AM in Los Angeles. Someone from upper management called me and said that I make the players feel uncomfortable about some of the stuff I've said on the radio and about they don't want me on the sidelines. Basically, I, they don't want me at the game. You were told that? I was told this. Not not through. They called me and told me this. Look, I love my football team. I want my team to win. And you got the nerve to call me and tell me that crap, you know, that I make the players feel. These are bunch, these grown men. These are not a bunch of girls. You can't say anything about the players anymore. I love my football team. I'm for the players. I'm an ex-player. I will always be a player. That's why I wear that gold jacket. I could have the right to say what I want to say. And I'm not trying to bash the player. I'm not trying to hurt. I love my football team. I just got to, it's, it's frustrating when you get a call from someone up a management team. You make the players feel uncomfortable. You know, stuff you say. Everybody else saying it, but I can't say. I don't work for the Rams. I'm not on the Rams payroll. Yeah, that was the way they kind of tried to, like, strong arm Martin Kilcoin as an example. You know, Martin, if you remember, a few years ago was doing the play by play. For the two Fox, Demoff would then call Martin and say, well, you, you know, we don't really appreciate you being critical of the team on the radio if you're going to be our play-by-play guy on the exhibition games. 
you know, now this is not unique to the Rams, by the way. This is kind of either unspoken or spoken practice in uh, in the way that teams handle their media outlets. But what Eric Dickerson is saying is, I don't work for him. I don't care. I have my gold jacket, and whether it's Jeff Fisher, Kevin Demoff, Les Snead, Stan Kroenke, it really doesn't matter. I don't need them, and those are the most dangerous because they don't give an F. Dickerson had requested multiple sideline passes for friends who planned to attend the November 20th game against Miami at the Coliseum. Rams representative initially didn't respond, but Dickerson said he was later told the team was uncomfortable with his public criticism and that general manager Les Snead or Jeff Fisher would be calling to explain, said Dickerson. I see a 314 number calling in, so I get on the phone and say hello. He says, hey, Eric, this is Jeff Fisher. How you doing, Jeff? He said, I just wanted to call you. I want to tell you a few things here. I don't have time for this. That's always nice. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to set the table mm-hmm. for a... For an honest discussion. Seems like he's got time for a lot of things. He doesn't do a lot of coaching. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be talking about the football team, talking about our team, talking about my coaches, expecting to get things from this football team. We're not going to give you anything. We're not going to support you in anything. As long as I'm here as coach, we feel uncomfortable with you coming on the sideline. The players are uncomfortable with that. So as long as I'm head coach here, I'm just going to let you know it's not going to happen. So... I said, Jeff, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I heard somebody might call me, but Jeff, I want to say this to you. I'm a grown man. I'm not a little kid. I do not work for the Los Angeles Rams. I said, I don't give a damn what you think. My thing is I want my football team to win. It's all I care about. I don't care whose feelings I hurt. I said, Jeff, and by the way, you can coach the Rams. You can coach the Titans. You might coach the Browns. You can go to SC. I will always be Eric Dickerson of the Los Angeles Rams. That's why I have the gold jacket. I'm a player first, and I will always be a player. Always. I'm always for the players. Know that. So he said, Eric, man. That's not what we want. We want you to come around. Jackie Slater comes over. Jack Youngblood. Then he goes on and says, I want you to be around. I want you to be part of the team. I didn't say nothing. I just listened. I said, Jeff, I'm going to say this much to you. It's my last thing. First of all, I like Eddie George. Eddie George speaks very highly of you. I give you a pass because of Eddie. But I'm going to say this to you, Jeff. You never, ever have to worry about me at a game again at the Coliseum as long as you're coaching. I'm not coming ever again. I don't want nobody to feel uncomfortable. Most definitely, I don't want the players to feel uncomfortable. I don't care about your coaches feeling uncomfortable. I'm all about the players. You never have to worry about ever seeing me again. I said, Eric, that's not the what we want. I said, as long as you're coaching, you won't have to ever worry about seeing me again. I said, Jeff, I want to thank you for having the guts to call me. You have a good night. And that was it. Now, Jeff Fisher said, I don't know where this is coming from, said, I had a really good conversation with Eric last week and that Dickerson was always welcome. I'd welcome him in the building. I'd love to have him come in. When the conversation was over, I wanted on behalf of the organization to afford every opportunity to become part of what we're doing there was no way on behalf of the organization that we wanted to alienate ed so that is what jeff fisher had to say regarding eric dickerson's comments maybe this will be the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back and they'll have to let fisher go when the season's over and, and say we, we can't start out the first year like this we can't alienate maybe our best player ever like this you know and, and send that message that we don't like the former players or that we're spiteful or hateful towards the former player they they don't need that it was handled badly to blow up publicly like this and the rams just can't get out of their own way no they just can't they do it no they they can't so jeff fisher does not dispute that he and Dickerson had a phone call. Meanwhile, 14 hours ago, on at K Demoff, uh, the Baghdad Bob of Twitter timelines, I have reached out to Eric to see where a miscommunication may have occurred and to clear up any confusion <laughs> over his presence in games. <laughs> miscommunication is all. So there. either he's completely out of the loop, even though Dickerson knew that he'd be getting a phone call from Les Snead or Jeff Fisher. 
or he's just doing what he has done, which is just blatantly lying. And I'm glad, as a St. Louisan, that the country is getting exposed to this stuff, because it's what we have been seeing around here for a very long time, and not just like the last couple of years, a very long time. There is not a market in the country who would have supported this crap, but yet we get blamed for it. And now everyone gets to see the way they operate. Remember Rick Venturi, January 14th, 2016. Wait till they get a load of this operation. They're not losers. They're not losers. Uh, that Snoop Dogg is none too pleased with uh, what's going on with uh, Eric Dickerson and uh, Jeff Fisher. Take a listen if you would. Oh, has he weighed in? Go ahead and hit the lever, Plaza. Eh? I'm listening to the about the Rams, how they came at Eric Dickerson. You sorry, mother... <laughs> That's why the y'all not winning how the f is y'all gonna do one of y'all greats like that eric dickinson is a f ram great he should be given all access but y'all want to let celebrities on the sideline and do what we want to do and we don't have to do with the organization i don't even give a f about the rams but y'all gave me all kind of passes and let me move around and all kind of sh but y'all want to disrespect eric dickinson coach need to go mm. he's sorry as f he don't know how to coach he ain't won ain't gonna win he need to go Period. You disrespect Eric Dixon. Eric Dixon is a great. It ain't about him being a Ram. He's a great, a Hall of Famer. He he deserves all access at the Coliseum. So says Snoop. They're not losers. They're not losers. We now flash forward to December 2016. There's a team that used to play here that uh, didn't play that well yesterday against the Falcons. Isn't it just fantastic how this has turned out? If we had to lose our team, isn't this the best possible revenge that we could get? I, I, th I, saw, I thought they'd lose by 80. I think I picked that they would lose. They may have. I saw that when they fell behind 42 to nothing, it was the largest deficit of any home team in the league since 2011. And to me, it was like this little inside joke in St. Louis, how awful that team was. You know, like yeah. it didn't seem to translate to the rest of the world. No, no, this is been an ongoing problem this is awful and now it's like the whole country is in on the joke mm -hmm. and boring boring as any nfl team could be they don't have a offensive not one offensive weapon we thought maybe todd Gurley would be ah he's just a guy he's todd Gurley said after the game uh, the rams looked like a quote middle school offense yeah and that he had quote nothing good to say about the offensive unit bill plashke la times columnist writes the honeymoon is not only over but also already has been engulfed in threats of divorce by fans who, during one moment Sunday afternoon, filled the Coliseum air with the loudest and angriest boos this columnist has heard there in 30 years. <laughs> oh, that's just wonderful. It is embarrassing for the city of Los Angeles, which can't possibly appreciate being fronted by this half-baked band of strangers. It's embarrassing for Rams fans, who were again shown on national television sitting amid thousands of empty seats while screaming their anger and sulking in their dismay. It should be embarrassing for Rams owner Stan Kroenke, who, if he doesn't do something about this soon, will quickly morph into a Donald Sterling-sized joke. Oh, that's nice. You know, we got a glimmer of hope over the last couple of days when we found out that their two most explosive players weren't going to be available, and so we felt like we would we'd have a good matchup defensively. But anytime you spot someone three touchdowns, one on basically <laughs> on special teams, and, and, and give up two touchdown defensive touchdowns on offense, it's hard to overcome. I honestly thought there was, well, I still, it's not thought because it's not past tense. I think there's a chance they whack him today. I think there's a chance they whack him today. I think Kevin Demoff is so conscious of public image that he is the kind of guy who will make the emotional business decision mistake 
that I could see them doing that today, even though there's three games remaining. They're not losers. They're not losers. Doug, Jeff Fisher is gone. Long live Jeff Fisher. Yeah, well, I guess you called it. I think he said yesterday you thought he might be fired yesterday, and indeed he was. Good for you, Tim. Well, you know, uh, I've been wrong about plenty of things as well, so... You said yesterday that uh, you thought it would come today. I thought uh, they're a bad organization, but they're not going to do a move like that. I mean, they've been dealing with mediocrity and and worse for years. Mm -hmm. The key to pawning the whole of your opponent is to know (laughs) the manner with which your opponent plays the game. And I'm confident that I am inside the head of at K Demoff. Very confident of that. What's going on in there? Well, I the tells began over the last week. You have an NFL Network report where Les Snead's wife, Kara Henderson Snead, uh, spent many years. So Les Snead was portrayed as the innocent. Jeff Fisher was thrown under the bus for his comments. And I saw the train coming down the tracks. That's the reason. It's not like I just spitballed it. And then after the loss... On Sunday, the manner with which it went down, this has nothing to do about anything other than PR. And Kevin Demoff, I believe, is so consumed with PR, which is absurdly comedic because when I think of mishandling public relations, I can't think of anybody more synonymous with botching public relations than Kevin Demoff. But he's so sensitive to it that they would make an overreaction and fire Jeff Fisher with three games left in the season, and oh, by the way, a short week. And just ridiculous. hire a guy who, when they came to him to say, you're the interim coach, Me. acknowledged that he was surprised that they came to him to be the interim coach, mm-hmm. John Fossil. So this is textbook Rammies. The thing will not change until Demoff is gone. He's been there longer than Fisher. He's been there longer than Snead, but he gets to stay. Why? Because he was made. He was the front man for the operation, Operation Stanley Steamer. He had no qualms going out there and being dishonest. He had no qualms about it. Uh, you know, if you're talking about loyalty to an owner or an organization, he gets high marks as a human being. It's a, it's a different question. But I, I just thought because he was so tone deaf with PR and handling everything almost it, it, it intentionally poorly, like you couldn't do it in, in a worse way. I thought there's no way that they're going to let the PR pressure get to them now. They've been bad for so long. They're not going to change out the coach with a Thursday night game looming. But, oh, I was wrong. I don't know how anyone could have been a more ineffective COO of an operation. He was woefully unprepared for the job. It's clear he doesn't know football based on the Rams rules that he gave us all to teach us how to cheer for the game. He's just not the right guy for that kind of job. He doesn't have what it takes for that. But uh, you also had this story, Doug. I don't think a tweet that I've sent out has been retweeted more. Last night on a two Fox sportscast, they played Kevin Demoff's press conference in a soundbite, and the graphic over uh, Kevin Demoff identifying him, it said, Kevin Demoff, Rams chief operating officer slash professional liar. Oh, my word. I tweeted out a screenshot of that. It has been retweeted 2,000 times and liked 2,500 times. Did I see something on Deadspin about that this morning? Deadspin, Sports Illustrated, yeah. You think he could get in trouble for that? Uh, is that slander? Well, there's a, there's a gentleman who, uh, when the cat is on the road with the Cardinals, sits in on the program here. 
He's on your left, usually, Doug. Yeah. That's Charlie Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Uh, this is Charlie last night uh, apologizing. Graphic with a disrespectful comment towards Rams Vice President Kevin Demoff. It was unprofessional, and I would like to apologize, even though we're all angry with the Rams leaving. That is no excuse. And again, I am sorry for doing that. Good for you, Charlie. <laughs> the boss saw that super and said, Charlie, uh-uh, slander. We all agree with it, but we can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, but in order for something to be slanderous, it has to be proven to be untrue. You're listening to Swope's Picks on 590 The Fan, 105.7 HD2 FM, and InsideSTL.com. We're pleased now to be joined by Tim McKernan. Tim, what's up? What's up, Buck Swope? It's an honor to be on your program. I did want to talk about kind of the Rams and really St. Louis football this market never really had a chance if you look at the kind of circumstances. Okay, so we have kind of an incompetent buffoon, Bornwell, running the team in the 80s, you know, and he wants a new stadium. And St. Louis, you know, it again, there's ways to ask for it, and it was just, it wasn't going to get done with Bidwell in St. Louis. A new stadium wasn't going to get, probably wasn't going to get done. So you get the Rams. They're here in 95. There's a big pop when they get here. You didn't really have like that organic, okay, we got to the playoffs this year and now we're coming back next year where you're like, you keep getting a step further each time. They didn't really have that. They had year after year where they were mediocre. And then all of a sudden it was, as you've referred to it, the best cocaine ever, I believe, was how you referred to it one time, not advocating any drugs. You've probably never done cocaine. I'm just saying it was a great analogy. We all watch Chappelle show. That's how we learn about drugs, right? So 99 Rams. It's an unbelievable season. They had a couple good drafts in a row under Vermeil, and they Marshall Falk falls into their lap, and they win the Super Bowl. And then they come back, oh, and then Vermeil leaves. So all of a sudden the guy who had run the previous three drafts and who had been the head coach this lightning-in-a-bottle season, he was the guy that was kind of uh, holding it together. He was the glue. Now he leaves. Martz is quickly thrust into the head coaching job, and he was, I mean, I think the Rams, if you look with both Martz and Spags, you had Super Bowl-winning coordinators who were kind of geniuses within their lab, and when they had elite in the case of uh, Martz, I think elite speed on his offense, and in the case of Spags, elite front four that could that could bring pressure, and they were able to do things and kind of rewrite the to some degree rewrite the rules of their sport in a vacuum. Um, but you get you put them in charge of an entire organization, and they're exposed. They're not good managers of of people, and they have issues. They have. They were just never, I mean, this is just luck of the draw to some degree. That's just how the NFL works. You, the, the most successful coordinators are made head coaches. So I think um, the Rams kind of struck out in that the guys they've gone, the guys who were somewhat talented and somewhat successful that they hired turned out to not really be good head coaches. And then on the other side, they, 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 there were people that were put in power that really have no business having the positions they have, and they had it for years I mean, Les Snead was nobody before he was named GM of the Rams. He's still GM of the Rams. I mean, Devaney, what has Devaney ever done other than be GM of the Rams? Like, where did they, where do they find these guys? Well, you know, if you, if you look at a defining moment, and if eh, I ever get a chance to put together a 30 for 30, it would start off with, um, you know, fast-paced music, the calls, of the 1999 Rams, 
the video of the Monday night game as they open up the defense of Denver. their world championship in 2000 against Denver with Tory Holt and Azakim running down the sideline talking to each other. For a moment, they were the Beatles. I mean, they were the entire the entire country, the entire world were fascinated with the St. Louis Rams for a brief period of time at the turn of the century. Continue. And then you have the 2001 team, um, which was a machine also. And in that year... Two elements of that. Of course, there's the obvious, which took place in February of 2002, the Super Bowl. But in April of 2001, you have, as you call them, the Beatles of the NFL. They had three first-round draft picks and two second-round draft picks. And they were already the best offense by far. And they were two years removed from a Super Bowl championship and one year removed, uh, not even one year removed, a few months removed from playoff team. And they just miss. Damian Lewis was, I believe, the 12th pick. Adam Archuleta, Ryan Pickett. Adam Archuleta and Ryan Pickett, and then it was Tommy Tommy Polly and Brian Brian Allen. They were set. The most telling moment of that Super Bowl loss in the ensuing seconds of it is Mike Martz walking toward the middle of the field to shake hands with Belichick, and he can't get through the rope, and he's lifting it with frustration. And right at that moment, that was the beginning of the end. If the Rams win that game... I don't believe the death spiral begins. And then you have Robert Thomas is your first round pick in 2002. Jimmy Kennedy, your first round pick in 2003. Steven Jackson worked. 2005, Alex Barron. And I even got into 2006 in Ty Hill, yep. who's about my size, and he's now playing cornerback. He was Mr. Pick, I mean, right? Carol Owens. Was it Adam Carricker? 2007, 2008, 2008. Chris, I don't want to draw a blank. I want to roll Long. here. I'm sorry. Chris Long. 2009, you could make a case. It's like pick your favorite biggest bus, Jason yep. Smith. Yep. And oftentimes, these are top five picks we're talking about here. You know, and so it's just it just it just continues on. And then you get to check down Sammy in 2010. And this is not results oriented because there was a discussion at the time. At the time, I was against picking Bradford. I had no idea he was going to be, you know, whatever, as you want to call him, average, below average, bad, injury prone, whatever. Well, the injury prone, I I did talk about that. My thought process was they don't have the goods to protect him. They don't have the goods for him to throw to, and he's coming off of injury. It's just a bad scenario. Yes, I realize you need a quarterback, but it's not this quarterback, not now. Go get Ndamukong Sue. That was my reasoning. Well, Again, it's not like I'm you know, the wizard of football here, but that was my reasoning for it, and that was the thought process. It wasn't, go get Ndamukong Sue. I have no idea why, Ndamukong, and then it'll wind up working out. Ndamukong Sue is not a four-pillars-type player, though, Tim. Faith, character, core values, and team first. Those would be the four pillars. Well, maybe that maybe that was the reason. I don't know. It's the riskiest draft pick to take is a, is a first-round quarterback. And the way that the salary structure was at the time, you knew that whoever you drafted was going to be the highest-paid player and was going to get this massive contract. People were married to the reality that Bradford was the, you know, the savior. That whole Bradford thing... To even think that well, that was, that used to be something that was discussed, that also was odd to me. Um, I never understood that. If if you had an opinion that the guy wasn't any good, you were also you know castigated. Um, I think the Bradford debate was not really rooted in the discussion as to whether or not he was the future of St. Louis football. So much as it was about, oh my God. 
there's a chance this guy isn't any good, and what does it mean for the future of St. Louis football? Because leading into Bradford, you already had four or five seasons of futility. And then if he doesn't work out, now you're committed to at least another three or four seasons of futility. And so I think a lot of that was people trying to convince themselves that he was something that he was not. Which brings us to this current situation with Goff. They whiffed with the Greg Robinson pick, but, you know, it happens. They, you know, ever thus. with yeah, this it, happens. it sure does happen quite a bit, doesn't it? Different, different regime, same result. And then, but just trying to figure out the thought process behind trading all those picks. When they made a trade that was so dumb for Jared Goff, again, we're talking Jared Goff here. That that was that move. Let's put it this way: If the Rams were still in St. Louis, they don't make that move. Period. That one was so transparent. It was all about getting pub in Los Angeles and trying to get attention. That's what that was. And F substance just throw style at me all day long and BS. And that's what they do. And so shipping a terrible deal for Jared Goff is right up their alley because it's the number one overall pick and we're going to get people talking about us. Whether or not he's good, who knows? And whether or not it's responsible long-term, who knows? We want to get a pop. Of course, they're going to do that. And you know, what are they going to do in St. Louis? They're going to pick offensive linemen and they're going to be horrible, but of course they're going to be war damn eagle, right, Les? So, you know, it's absolutely par for the course. That was as predictable as it comes. The running theme, as I hear you, you know, say that, and the running theme in my head is they're always making the, you know, the wrong decision for the wrong reasons. Uh, whoever was behind that, you know, you're you're making a really stupid trade. You're forcing yourself, you're painting yourself into a corner, and now what? Now you have to go out and get a head coach. You don't have a first round pick. You've shown your ass to the nation in terms of how, uh, you know, this first season has gone. I don't care if you're an unknown. I don't care if you're a name. It's going to go poorly because they're not going to get someone who they would have been able to get otherwise under ideal, situ- you know, ideal circumstances. Yeah. But that'll Maybe be right, sir. That'll be more. That'll be you know future episodes for us. So that'll be good for us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I I, uh, I think we we've spent enough time on it. I appreciate you joining me, and we'll see you around. And take it easy. All right. Thanks, Buck Swope. You're listening to Swope's Picks on Five Ninety The Fan. 1057 HD2 FM and InsideSTL.com. Liberty Mutual Insurance presents An Opportunity to Save, starring Brother Kevin Abair. Ah, hello, Brother Abair. Your Liberty Mutual Insurance representative, Brother Abair, lives and works in your community. Giving back to the community. Giving back to the community. Brother Abair, it, it just dawns on me that uh, you seem like a, a very intelligent guy, very intelligent guy, very intelligent guy. Brother Kevin Abair, very intelligent guy, will get you the best price on the right coverage. I'm not bragging, I'm just stating fact. See how much you could save on your auto and home insurance. Oh, I had to do the research. That's a puppy. Call Brother Kevin Abair at Liberty Mutual, 314-520-0386. Yeah, brother. Once again, that's Brother Kevin Abair at Liberty Mutual, 314-520-0386. 
Brother Aber, thank you. God bless you, sir. Good night, everybody. Swope here, reminding you that all episodes of Swope's Picks are available for download at InsideSTL.com. You can also find Swope's Picks on iTunes in the comedy section under S for Swope. The old master painter. Brian's paint with 12 years of experience can handle all of your painting needs. My stepdad and I used to paint each other's chest. The old master painter. Brian's paint. Custom painting, murals, and faux finishing, plus deck refinishing and power washing. The old master painter. Brian's paint. You match your paint colors exactly. It was pink, pink, pink. The old master painter. Brian's paint. Having an art degree. Nice humble brag. Brian is able to offer color assistance and bring you the highest quality work. The old master <laughs> painter from the faraway hill. La, 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 la. Online at brianspaint.com. Support the sponsors. Hot Shots, Hot Shots. Hot Shots Sports Bar and Grill is where real St. Louis fans watch our teams. Hello, St. Louis! With 11 area locations, there's always a Hot Shots nearby to cheer on St. Louis teams while engaging in fellowship with other real St. Louis sports fans. Get your chicken wings with a stranger at Hot Shots in South County. Woo! Hot Shots has been serving real St. Louis sports fans for over 25 years and is a proud partner of real St. Louis sports teams, including the Blues, the Cardinals, Mizzou, and STL. LFC. Check them out online at hotshotsnet.com. I need more cheers and more beers. <laughs> Once again, I'd like to thank Tim McKernan for joining us. Special thanks to our sponsors, Brother Kevin Bear with Liberty Mutual, Hot Shots Sports Bar and Grill, and Brian's Paint. Support the sponsors that support Swope. Oh, get on with it, muff. Get on with it, muff. Oh, get on with it, muff. Thank you for listening to Swope's Picks. Enjoy the mashup. And a gentleman comes up and uh, taps me on the shoulder and introduces himself and says, Hey, are you guys going to construct a glory hole in the men's room? But I've done things like, <laughs> like you know, drilling holes through the from the men's side over to the women's side. Well, sure. That'll work. It's our party, and my buddy gets a little something going with the one that got puked on. Well, let's just make out. That didn't mean anything, though. Yeah, that we were drunk. Mean, yeah. We were hammered. Glory holes are real. Glory holes are real. Uh, he didn't ask you uh, about a glory hole. Well, we haven't gone that far yet. I want me some glory hole. Just happened to notice the porter potties, and I was just thinking, like, man, what if I just crawled in there? <laughs> and it turned out to be just a really bad idea, you know? The porter potty thing? The porter potty was closed, and I was in there, and then I opened the latch real quick, and then just kind of ducked in there. And I was actually inside it. Yeah. A little bit of room to move around. Mm-hmm. And, uh,. I guess the first time nobody came for a while, no. I was in one of the wrong ones, and then Ooh. I just switched over to a busy one, Good. and then, I don't know, just some chick came in, Hot. and uh, supposedly she saw me or whatever. <laughs> How often do you think that works? I had a tent cover with me, I had just no shoes on or anything, and no shirt really. No. I got a small shirt that I stashed in there somewhere. Sure. You'd like I to get in on the gay bathhouse discussion as well, is that right? That doesn't necessarily make you a homosexual. Do we even have a bathhouse in St. Louis? Larry Nickel was there creeping on just about everybody around. Is that right? Yeah. What was that? Why in the world would you go to a bathhouse? That was only a suggestion. We don't have bathhouses in St. Louis, I'm sure. There could be. They would actually perform in the bathhouse proper? It, it was just clean. Nobody would really done any dirty business really in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw this gentleman who looks like he might be from Eastern Europe staring no, at me. He's topless. Got that now it's awkward. Do it, Doug. Do it, Doug. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Ah! That'll do it. Back to you, Steve.